Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Hawthorne, Tatman, Jenkins, Hutchinson, Hirsi Ali and Plumwood. Let's get radical about philosophy. Welcome to Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. Now today we're going to be discussing a really important topic. We're going to be discussing the philosophy of homelessness. Currently, within Australia, there are more than 105,000, that is 49 out of every 10,000 people who are homeless. Now half of these people are under 24 years old and 10,000 are children. One in 40 children are under five years old. I'm going to be speaking to Ruth and Nikki today and they both have experienced homelessness. Now, thanks very much, Ruth and Nikki, for coming into the studio today to speak about your experiences with homelessness. Now, first of all, can you, uh, Ruth, could you tell us Is there any particular circumstances that may have led to people experiencing homelessness? Okay. In my experience, any general calamity can contribute to homelessness. Now, we were were basically saying how you can be six weeks away from that happening. Now, it can be any number of factors and it can affect anyone. Obviously, people with the lower socioeconomic background and less financial resources to fall back on are are much more prey to it. But there are also people who don't want to go back to parental support or to avenues of support because of abuses in those particular areas. So they're many and vast and common. Uh, We live in an era of uh, this affliction in a land where we've got no uh, limit on property, uh, and yet this has become common and too acceptable, in my opinion. Right. So, Nikki, can you tell us if there are any particular circumstances that have led people to experience homelessness? Well, particular circumstances. Um, I don't. I, I would say there's specific circumstances specific to everybody who experiences homelessness involuntary homelessness or in my case at the moment uh, voluntary homelessness or what I like to call home free I mean I didn't make that up I think that's a thing that people say now or even I just like to call myself a hobo but uh, I think that I think really often the circumstances you know they're they're pretty specific I think um, you know uh, services industry and government and NGOs and that kind of thing like to lump all homeless people into the same category and uh, sort of stereotype homeless people. But this could be anyone and everyone, just like Ruth just said. It could be anyone. It could be you. Right. So, uh, Ruth, do you think that 
homelessness has any impact on your mental and physical health? Well, your job. First of all, I'd like to say I I concealed my homelessness. I went through a period. I'm not assuming with Nikki, but similar, where I made a choice because I'd had dealing with uh, what I call socio uh, a social service sociopaths and others who presumably are there to help you, ruthless landlords and the like. And I made a decision to uh, be homeless for a period of time. And uh, with that, yes, your job is to stay sane and healthy. So, in fact, I was fitter when I was homeless because I went to a gym every morning. And I had to conceal that I was a homeless person using that gym because they wouldn't like someone like that coming and using their showers. So I'd do all the, you know, running on the spot crap and then use the shower. Um, you have to, con- I had to conceal it. So, yeah, your job is to A, stay sane, very, very hard and B, stay healthy. And in my case, I had a diabetic leg ulcer, so it was very, very hard to do that. So, But, yeah, that's your job. And, yes, it does impact badly because you're constantly around people who are housed and homed, and you have to live with the fact that these lucky people who define themselves by their postcodes are all fine, but you're not in that position. So, you know, you identify with other people in community. But, yes, it's very, very... In in fact, if I knew anyone contemplating a period of homelessness apart from their physical safety, I would urge them to have steps to look after their health and to look after their mental health. Crucial, I'd say. Hmm. So, Nikki, do you think that... Homelessness has had any impact on mental and physical health in general? Mm, I think, um, well, just, uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with Ruth's point about flying beneath the radar. Absolutely. Um, and that can be really hard. So has it, in terms of if it would generally have an impact on someone's physical and mental health, it's, it's, it's also, it's, it's about staying healthy, as Ruth said, mm. and looking after yourself and, and trying to, you know, healthy in your mind as well as your body. Absolutely. And, and even on the level of personal grooming and stuff, because you want to not stand out, you don't want it to be obvious because once it gets obvious, then you get in trouble. That's when people start calling the cops and, you know, when people become aware of you. And then you're a problem because you're not fitting in, you know, you're not conforming, you're you're an aberration. So you're in trouble and trouble happens for you. And so in terms of people generally being able to achieve that, it's relatively easy for me because I'm white and I'm a middle-aged woman and I'm able, I've, I've at the moment I've got access to showers in squats or to, at other people's houses that I know that I can access at least every two or three days. And if not, you know, I can at least have a little, I can have a little quick wash in a public toilet or whatever, you know, and I've got a car, which is an immensely valuable resource when you're home free. Um, so I can keep, you know, spare clothes in my car. I can wash, I can wash my dirty clothes in a public toilet hand basin and then hang them in my car to dry. So, but so then I don't have to hang them anywhere obvious where people go, why are you hanging your washing there? Why aren't you hanging it at your house? And you know, these kind mm. of questions. Mm. Um, and so I can, I can stay invisible. 
I can stay invisible. If you're not white or you don't have a car or, you know, if you can't maintain your hygiene and these kinds of things, that's when you start to run into trouble. So, and, and also with your health issues and stuff. And then, of course, it's going to have an effect on your, on your mental health, I think, and on, and on your um, well-being in general. Once, once things start to, once you sort of start to, things start to deteriorate in that way, that's when problems start to arise. So what sort of support is available and is it really easy to access, Ruth? Well, I've thought long and hard about this question, Beth, and I'm afraid to say that the services that are available are woefully deficient. I wouldn't recommend any person contemplating homelessness to fall victim to these organisations. They... Offer you a range, like if I knew a lot of Eastern European Jews when I was much younger, and they'd often tell me stories about how, in the process of concentration, like the indigenous here, they were marched to one point and stayed there, then they were marched to another point and stayed there, then they were put in another place and stayed there, then they're in the final place, final solution. What happens in our government system is that. Oh, yes, you get a bit of help from this agency in a motel, stay there. Then you march to the next thing. Then you're begging for transitional housing. Then you're being misdirected somewhere else that you're not going to live because it's not going to be better for you. And so you put through the same process which peoples have been put through. And I recognised it. I thought, oh, God, this is exactly like what old Joe told me he was put through. And it's the same thing because they think you can endure this. Beggars can't be choosers, you're told. Then, of course, there are what are now called institutional abusers. And they're people who should not be in charge in any way with any people, young or older. There are, unfortunately, people in those fields who feed off human suffering, and I'm sorry to say it, but I could write a book on it, and one day I will. Some of them are called social workers, unfortunately. But I'd also like to add that presently I have one social worker who is magnificent and has helped me considerably. So amongst them, the same as with doctors, we're fond of doctors, aren't we? You've got your good ones, you've got your not so good ones. So when you are that vulnerable, I would say, don't go there. If you can't reveal to your friends your present situation, you don't do that, but you do endless amount of dog sitting, house sitting, anything you can do to get a bit of help and relief there. But no, uh, I, I have to say, unfortunately, If I knew a young lady like Nikki, I'd say, don't go to those people, Nikki, please, is what I'd have to say. And also, Nikki said having to conceal your situation. There's a phenomenon in America they call women of our age group shadow ladies. Now, a shadow lady maintains her dress and her looks because she can go to a public hospital waiting room and have a nap there. And people will say, oh, we won't wake up that lovely middle-aged lady in her Chanel top. Let her let her have rest. 
she can go to an airport overnight when it's a bad stormy night and, oh, she's waiting on her daughter coming back from Morocco. Isn't she a sweetie? Right? And there was a book by Marge Piercy called Three Women, which I read many, many years ago. But even as I read it, I thought, oh, this is a template for something I might experience and I might have to use one day. So, yes, I never concealed my eight months of chosen homelessness to any of my friends. I'd only told my sister a couple of weeks ago that, and, and I didn't want her to be upset. I said, I'd, you know, and she said to me, which I love, she said, I said, you can't go back to your friends with the same problems all the time. They've got their issues too. And she said, well, that only proved to me that you've got real character in choosing to do it. But I chose to do it in the spring, summer months before winter. Winter I had to seek help and unfortunately got quite a lot of abuse at the hands of those people. So, yeah. So, Nikki, what what type of support has, has been available for you and is it easy to access? Yeah, I have to say I'm I'm very lucky and I think that um, I'm very lucky that I'm the age I am now, which is 45, and I was lucky enough as a teenager to get involved in punk music scene and that introduced me to anarchism and but also to uh, to sort of subcultures that were developing around that time and have developed since like squatting and... Um, dumpster diving, you know, all these kind of, like, freeganism, they call it now. I think that's a relatively new term. Like, I don't know if it was an 80s thing, but it was definitely around in the 90s and the the teens, the t- whatever you call it, in the 2000, 2010 era. And um, so I'm lucky that actually I know, and also I'm an activist, so I do a lot of activism. And so in that activist community slash punk community, I know a lot of other people who are doing what I'm doing. Mm. And there isn't always a squat I can go to, you know, and, and but I do know how to, and um, and I'm, you know, I certainly wouldn't be advocating doing anything illegal on air or anything like that, but I know of those communities and I know those people are doing that, and so I find like solace, support, advice, and that sort of thing in those communities. So that's great, and uh, I think. As a result of that, I've been very lucky that I haven't had to go to any um, official agencies to help with homelessness. I mean, I think I did it. I've had like periods in my life when I've been involuntarily homeless as well. Um, in my 30s, I had uh, a good decade's worth of drug addiction and um, and a whole lot of stuff going on then. And there were times where I was more likely and I was, I was a lot more isolated because of the drug stuff. Because uh, you just tend to, you know, get really isolated when you're when you're uh, a chronic substance abuser, and uh, so then I went more to like organisations that were sort of government organisations and that kind of thing, uh, and uh, to seek help. And very similar experiences, dehumanising and depressing and alienating and. Yeah, horrible. So I think um, I feel immensely lucky now that I have access to these other radical resources that are about establishing our cultures of resistance, you know, in our activist networks, for sure. So, Ruth, do you think there are any positives in being homeless? Yes. I mean, this is the thing that surprised me. 
when you put the question to me because it's something you normally would not be asked. A, what little money you have, you're not giving to a ruthless landlord, and they all are, I'm sorry, or exorbitant rental rental situation or a, a shared living situation where you're paying a lot of money to subsidise someone else's existence. But, yeah, I had to think about it. And, and following on to what Nikki said, it gives you the opportunity to have solidarity with a lot of people who the Indigenous in particular, who I draw a lot of inspiration from, they were forced into homelessness here, having their land taken from them. With refugees, I feel a particular solidarity and the chance of connecting with community. I had heard a program where they talked about how people who've suffered depression often get well through reconnecting with community. So... I'd listen to 3CR, I'd listen to Refugee Radio, and you're able to say, oh, God, I'm, I'm at least not going through something that bad. Or, But you can identify with what these people are put through. And you also have the advantage, as Nikki has said, you have an outsider edge. An outsider edge is very important. You have the opportunity to view the culture in terms of you may be excluded from... The wealth, even after you're homeless, you still have the stigma of being homeless and people considering you in a certain light. But you have the, you have the opportunity, as Nikki had said earlier, you can identify with hobo culture. I have a whole lexicon of ho- hobo symbols that people used in the Depression to say noisy dog there, not nice people there, chop wood for food there, Nice neighbour there, you can identify with that. I identify with the pearly costers of the East End of London who were street workers and my father's family was an East Ender and they were itinerant agricultural workers and hop pickers in their holidays. And the, the Irish tinkers who were made homeless by the British landlords. So I have solidarity with a lot of groups of people, including the Roma, who are still being persecuted in Europe. So you have an opportunity, and now with things like inequality studies, you've got an opportunity to expand upon all those cultural areas of interest, and in particular with having solidarity with uh, programs on 3CR. It's not just a great community organisation, it's a social justice organisation, and that got me through my homelessness. Listening to Robbie Thorpe, and listening to a number of people got me through the worst, Bill Della in particular, got me through the worst of what I was going through. You're listening to Radical Philosophy on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55 on your AM dial. And I'm speaking to Ruth and Nikki about the philosophy of homelessness. Uh, now, Ruth, do you, do you think that... Um, do you find there is a support network amongst homeless people? I know we've touched on this with other, in regards to other questions, but um... well, well, there's there's a recognition of sorts. Many years ago, one of my many shit jobs was cleaning offices overnight, and I'd get on the first train in the morning, and you would have your people who 
had had the four-hour period between 1 o'clock in the morning and 5am where they're on the street. And from that time, they can get on hopefully the Frankston line or a long line, hopefully not be harassed by transport goons until after 7am. And they could at least get a little bit of body rest and sleep and get warm again. And they come to recognise you. So, yes, there are networks of people. I, I didn't openly invite it because, A, you're working to not be identified as homeless. However, you still got nods, you got acknowledgements. I can get on a train full of 200 people and I can pick the homeless people. I just I see them. I just know from certain looks. There are places in terms of my own network now where there are pl- I won't say where, I won't give up the locations. I didn't stay in them. But there are places I go to where I leave food and I leave a few little resources and show bags, I call them. I pop off a, sh- a few show bags here and there. And that is for, and they're elderly people who live rough and live homeless. So at least there are a few little bits and pieces they get and they don't I don't know if they know it's me or whatever but a lot of street musicians I knew even before I was home I was homeless that they lived that kind of lifestyle as well so yes you, there is a there's an underground network as it were as it were you know the activist network I haven't been involved with but you know, they are great people and they would show the similar sort of response to, of uh, uh, support to their friends. So it's wonderful that that exists. It's great. So, Nikki, would you like to add something about the support network? Oh, look, I'm just in awe of Ruth's knowledge. I think she's amazing. And, and I, love, I love that kind of reminder to know where we are in history, to know that, you know, there's a legacy of, like, rich cultures of so-called homelessness, but really, you know, about people who are transient, people who are on the move for whatever reason. And um, and I, I, don't, I, th- I don't know, like maybe you don't identify as an activist, but I would describe some of the things you're doing as activism, you know. If you're, if you're especially like with the helping out and the food and the stuff and also your knowledge of 3CR and involvement with the 3CR community, like for me, that is activism, you know, these little everyday things that we do. And we don't have to call ourselves an activist. Mm. Sometimes I don't do that even. But um, just if every day we're involved in these, like building these uh, communities of resistance to this kind of conformist, capitalist culture that's pushed on us all the time, this that we hate, that's so depressing, that we, you know, that, that that's why we fall so-called between the so-called cracks because we don't fit in we can't be the robots they want us to be mm. you know we've got we've got too much character as your sister said you know we're, we're free we're we're too free for that so yeah we got to know where we are and also speaking about mob you know speaking about um history and mob and or indigenous people like uh, and 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 think positive things about being home free or or not, you know, owning properties that, you know, I always feel like I could never own, pretend, like presume to own property on this continent because mm. it's not my country, you know, and it's all stolen. That's right. All of it. So how could you even do that and look yourself in the mirror? And I think, and I know there is a lot of activists and a lot of good people who do do that. And I think, 
you know, I'm, not, I'm, I wouldn't, you know, that's between ourselves and our own conscience to to resolve that. But I think until we do resolve that inconsistency, that this is Aboriginal land, mm. and then this kind of like owning owning land and or presuming to own land, until we resolve that, then there is going to always be this ongoing issue of genocide and. Um, and, and displacement and injustice for Aboriginal mm. people. So, so that's definitely for me a positive. It's like, well, at least I don't own any land. You know, <laughs> could be worse. I could own some land. <laughs> Not that that's the worst thing going on, but you know, it's all part of it. So, Ruth, do you think that there's a link between paid employment and homelessness? Oh, look, definitely. When we look at economics, my dad used to say to me, "My father was a member of the MUA." and also identified with people of all kinds of backgrounds as far as transitional workers, itinerant workers, and supported working people all over the world. Um, Yeah, I say economics and the circumstances of people's employment are all man-made. And when Nikki was talking about the cracks, those cracks are created cracks. They're man-made Okay, these things are all constructs of, of uh, neoconservative politics. There are ample resources for everybody here to be housed and looked after and provided for, ample. It appalls me that people think that this is in any way acceptable. I'm also not a... I don't wish to own land. I've got no desire to own it. I don't acknowledge that I've got any legitimate right to own land here. You know, but a link between, yes, unfortunately at the moment, the people who are fortunate, I don't know, to have jobs, and I see them every day, I see them in the the corporate system, the capitalist monster every day, they have to work and be available at all sorts of insane hours and consequently at some point they're going to get sick. And when they get sick they then fall behind on being able to pay for things. Yes, there's a link. It's a constructed, definite link. Some nasty little accountant somewhere in a government office has sat down and worked it all out. And, of course, if you have people who then become sick, well, you've got less people in the queues at hospitals, I mean, when they die, lists... I've been on a housing list now for five and a half years. In five and a half years, around about 18% of the people on it will die or then be so ill that the one-bedroom commission place won't be any good for them anyway because they can't walk up the stairs. Okay? So all these things are worked out. They're worked out meticulously. Yes, I feel for anyone who has a job because... As I said to you, in order just to be able to pay a regular rent these days, you need two jobs to do it and two probably casual jobs of, you know, God knows how many hours, if they're lucky, if they can get sufficient hours to pay rent. All these people are living on their credit cards, by the way. So uh, that's what you've got to realise. They're they're living on a... um, They've switched the master and slave thing to the... The, the bank and the client, and that's what it is. You are gambling on the hope that one day you'll have regular employment and you'll get on top of this. 
and you're not just paying interest upon interest. But that's what it is. Man-made, all figured out. Great. Well, we'll leave it there for today. Well, thanks very much for coming onto the program today, Ruth and Nikki. Thank you, Beth. Thanks for having us. Great to meet Nikki. She's awesome. Oh, you too, sis. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, thank you at home for listening. And stay tuned for Are You Looking At Me?